So, are you ready for the word? <laughs> I hope not. I'm already. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> so, Lord, I just thank you for that word that you've placed inside of Ron. I pray, Lord, that whatever preparations he's done, that Lord, that you would anoint him afresh, that the words out of his mouth would be your words and not, not his words, they would be anointed words. We thank you for the gifting within him. We thank you for that heart that he has to listen to your whisperings and only do what he sees the Father doing. So Lord, I pray that the word of the Lord would fall on good ground in each and every person's heart, mind and spirit in this place today, that we would go out forever changed. In Jesus' name, Amen. Good morning, Taxi C. You'll be pleased to know that this morning my watch has stopped working. <laughs> so we could be here for a while. It was the pride of the Royal Navy. 
Just for you to have an idea, it had three, three decks. You can imagine what that's a huge ship. 100 and I think 10 bronze cannons. And it was immense. It was an immense, it was the flagship of the Royal Navy. It was, uh, it seemed to be invincible. It seemed to be invincible. And I was reading about how the French, we get French here today, not today. So I'm alright. You've got to be careful. It's not here today, but we love you, Michelle. We love you. The French were causing us some trouble around Portugal, and there was, uh, there was there was a convoy, I think a trade convoy, a British trade convoy, and the, the French were blockading the port, so they dispatched 30 ships led by this flagship, HMS Victory, I think it was 1744. And of course, we liberated our convoy, and we chased the French into the port of Cadiz. And we, we escorted our convoy to Gibraltar. As you do, you know. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> however, however, the journey was to end in tragedy. As these, the fleet uh, began to return journey, came to the Channel Islands. And there was a horrific storm. And during that horrific storm, HMS Victory was blown off course and was, was shipwrecked on the rocks around the Channel Islands. Over a thousand men were killed on board because of a storm. A terrible storm. You see, it looked invincible. The French fleet couldn't defeat it. But a storm did and blew it onto the rocks and over a thousand men were killed. And as I was reading about this, I was thinking about the, the storms that can so easily shipwreck our faith. The storms of this life that can so easily shipwreck our lives. Yes? We can feel invincible sometimes. We can look invincible. But suddenly, life has a way of throwing things at you, and so does your enemy have a way of throwing things at you that can blow you completely off course and even shipwreck you if you allow it to. And you know, the Apostle Peter was concerned about the churches in the region of Asia Minor. Just to give you a bit of background again, in case you're not aware of it. The Apostle Peter is in Rome. He refers to it using a code word, as I did in those days. He refers to it as Babylon. Babylon. But actually, he's probably referring to the, the, the system and the, the immorality, the anti-God uh, mentality that was in the predominance in Rome at the time. And we know that the Apostle Peter himself would pay the ultimate price. Church historians tell us, early church fathers tell us that the Apostle Peter, under the persecution of the Emperor Nero, who was a nutcase, the Apostle Peter chose to be crucified upside down, rather than renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was beheaded. The Apostle Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't deem himself worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord Jesus. Let's think about Peter and how he denied Christ. You know, even though he was restored, he still, I imagine, still haunted him for many years to come. And he was very concerned about these first century believers in the region of Asia Minor. A number of churches from different regions in the area of Asia Minor, which today we know as Turkey. Today we know it as Turkey. 
And so he writes this letter because he's concerned about persecution, about tribulation, about trials. Not necessarily a, a general one, a worldwide one at that point, but more so the hostility within communities against Christians within the Roman Empire. You see, there was a price to pay in those days. Nowadays, we, we might get some bad press, might get some, you know, a little bit of trouble, people talking or saying bad things about you, or questioning you, and your, your, your faith, your values, and so on. But in those days, they could well be facing death. They could be facing death for their faith. That should challenge us, that should encourage us and inspire us, you know? So we need to listen to these words, the words of the Apostle Peter, with great care. Because the Apostle Peter has just been explaining in chapter 1, in the first verses, he's explaining about why they're going through these trials. I don't know about you, but whenever I go through a trial or a test, usually the question, first question that comes, the Athens, the Western mindset, is that why? Why? Why is this happening to me? What have I done? Yes. And the Apostle Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins to explain a little bit of, of the why in these earlier verses. But then, he talks about what we are to do in the light of that. How are we to survive? How can we stay on course if we have to face trials and persecutions and difficulties? Well, the first thing he says that we need is a strong mind. A strong mind. And he uses this interesting phrase, he says, therefore, gird up the lines of your mind. Gird up the lines of your mind, folks. Anybody know what that means? <laughs> gird up the lines of your mind. <laughs> well, in the ancient world, this is what I was looking into, perhaps I've never heard it before, right? But in the ancient world, obviously they used to wear these long flowing robes, didn't they? And they used to have a belt, usually. And when they needed to move around quickly, you know, that could impede their movement with this robe. So what they used to do is they used to bring up the robe and tuck it into their belt. <laughs> Your mind's running away. <laughs> so they gird up the loins. They gird up their loins, so to speak. Okay? But the Apostle Peter here says, gird up the loins of your mind. It starts with the mind. It talks about self-control. Take action over your mind, over your thoughts. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready for strenuous mental action. It's a little bit like, you know, we say today about the Indian roll up your sleeves. You know what it means? You need to get ready to get, get stuck in to whatever you're doing. So, a similar phrase, but in those ancient times it had its own meaning. Well, it occurred with the loins of you'll never hear that the same way again, will you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it means being prepared, folks. Being prepared, just as they would have to prepare themselves by tucking their robe into their belt to be able to move freely, to get out of there, wherever, wherever they're going. He's saying, do this with your mind, have the correct thinking. Be alert. Do not allow your thought life to hinder you from moving forward. In the same way that rope would hinder you from moving freely when you needed to. Don't let your thought life hinder you. Don't let it be a barrier to you moving forward. 
you're going through trials and tribulations, you're going through persecution sometimes maybe, you know your thought life gives you some hassle, doesn't it? It's a real battlefield. The mind is a battlefield. You know, a time of persecution could quite easily destroy the confidence and the peace and the rest of the mind. And so, elsewhere the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate or think on these things. So in order to be able to stay on course, the first thing we need to do is get a grip on our thought life. To get a grip on our thought life. And I know anybody, any of you that sit here that has struggled with that, you know it is a battle. You know it's a battle. But we've got to stop somewhere. And let me tell you, I believe wholeheartedly the Holy Spirit of God can give you what you need to be able to discipline your thoughts, to discipline your mind. Self-control. Secondly, it's about consistent thinking. It says, be sober. Be sober. When we think about sobriety, when we think about being sober, usually it means that we abstain from a lot of drink. Now, I'm not going to sit here and talk about, or stand here and talk about drinking today. You have to decide whether or not you, as a Christian, feel free to drink alcoholic drinks. But I will say that drunkenness is a sin. Okay? And so the idea is that you do not drink in excess because otherwise you are sinning and offending God and His holiness. And you need to you need to ask for forgiveness and stop doing it. Well here is why is that folks? Because we, we lose control, don't we? When we're drunk, not that we do, past life, BC this is before Christ. You know, you lose control. And it's, that's what he's referring to here when he's talking about the mind. Be sober, be alert, be in control of your thoughts. Because when you're not, you'll be all over the place. They'll drag you all Either you're going to control them or they're going to control you. And pull you all over the place. You know, thinking about the, the illustration of HMS Victory, there is a, a phrase, a maritime phrase they use, an expression, it means batten down the hatches. You've heard that one before, haven't you? Batten down the hatches. And so the sailors, apparently, when they knew they were coming into a stormy period, they would batten down the hatches, they would close that and seal the hatches of all the, all the, all the, sorry, they would seal all of the hatches. You know, the hatches were for ventilation within the ship and so on, so they make sure everything is tied down, everything is secure. And that's what he's saying. Batten down the hatches of your mind, because there's a storm coming. That means that we have, to, we have to have unswerving resolve. It means being determined. It means saying within your heart, no matter what I've got to go through, no matter what it's going to cost me, I'm willing to pay the price and I'm going to stay on course. I'm not going to allow the, the things of this life, the trials and tribulations, no matter how hard they get, to blow me off course. Because I don't want to end up shipwrecked. I don't want to end up with a shipwrecked life. Yes? Praise God. So Peter is still thinking of the mind. He says in Ephesians 4 verse 14 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. And it's usually as we're going through these things, guys, 
as we go through trials and tribulations. That's when, you know, it's like, it's like God's in the dock. And it's like God's on trial. Because you start to think, well, you know, what have I done to you? And all that you know, everything that you understand about God comes into question. And you may well even hear, well, if God's good, why are you going through this? Why are you going through that? And you're going to hear nowadays, folks, you're going to turn on the television, you're going to hear certain preachers telling you that if you're going through trials and tribulations, that actually it's to do with your faith. There's something wrong with your faith. And you've only got to read through the whole of the New Testament, read through the book of Acts, read about the apostles, the early apostles, and ask yourself if they had problems with their faith as they were being whipped and beaten and they were thrown into dungeons and persecuted, you know, and stoned and so on. Did they have a problem with their faith? Ask yourself these questions. You see, in some mysterious way, I do not claim to understand these things, but God uses these tribulations and trials of life to shape and to mould and to refine. To refine us. But there can so easily become occasions for tragedy if we're blown off course. We've got to stay on course. Don't be tossed to and fro. And in these moments, we're, 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 we find ourselves fragile. We're often vulnerable to false teaching and false teachers who will blow us off course. And we've got to stay on course in the scriptures, stay on course in his word, stay on course in prayer, in fellowship with him. In times of testing, our thoughts can be so easily, so easily swerving to doubt. You know, we can even justify faithless acts. Secondly, what does he say? Therefore, go to the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the second thing that we need, apart from a strong mind, is we need steadfast hope. A steadfast hope. When we think about hope, usually we think about wishful thinking, don't we? I hope one day that something's going to happen. You know, but very often, you just, it's just wishful thinking. I hope, but I'm not sure. Maybe. Let me tell you that hope, the whole concept of hope in the New Testament, is one of assurance. Assurance. That's what the word means in the New Testament. So you can have assurance of something. What is it? What does he say? He says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we can see that you can be absolutely assured that there will be one day, and, and Julia has mentioned this morning, there will be one day a revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he left the disciples, he promised he would return. And I believe that day is near, friends. When you look at the chaos that the world is in right now, the mess that the world is in, because it's turned its back upon God, upon his principles, upon his word, upon his will, upon his ways, kicked him out of schools, you know, kicked him out of all areas of society, doesn't want anything to do with him, wants to live an independent life, and he thinks everything's going to be okay. 
Jesus Christ is coming back. But he's not coming back to die on the cross again. He's coming back as a conquering king. He's coming back to establish his kingdom in the That's what the scriptures teach it. Hallelujah. And so we need to set our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's time of grace for the believer. Praise God. He's coming back to bring grace for those who are waiting for him. Those who are eagerly expecting him. He will return and it will be a time of grace. You see, his work in you isn't completed until he returns to complete it. We're in the process until then. What is, it? what is that hope? Well, thinking about their world and what they were going through is hope in the deliverance from all trials. He's basically saying, look, you may have to go through some difficult times here. Read the rest of chapter 1. You know, the, the genuineness of your faith might be tested, it might be revealed, might be proved. You may have to go through some things in this earth, in this world. You may have to go through some trials and temptations and difficulties. But you've got to look beyond it. You've got to have your, your hope set on that day, on the revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns. And I want to ask you, is your hope set on it? Are you fully set on that? When we say hope, oh, remember, if we talk about expectation, more than we are about wishful thinking, friends. My expectation, do I believe that Jesus Christ is one day going to come? Heaven is going to open, he's going to return just as his word said he would. Let me encourage you to do that, friends, because the rest of the Bible, all of the fact, you know, hundreds of years, Building up to the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, so many times there were prophecies being given about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he would come, how he would die, and so on and so forth. And it happened exactly as these prophets declared that would. How much more the second coming is going to take place exactly the way the Lord Jesus Christ said it would? You can read about it. He's coming here. And so we're hoping in the deliverance from all trials. Tough now, but fix your hope on that day. An athlete will tell you that when they win the ultimate prize, all the blood, sweat and tears to achieve it fade into insignificance. You see, when we're watching the Olympics or whatever, we see runners, we see these athletes, yes, competing. And we see that moment of glory as they, they win their prize, they win their race or whatever, but we, we don't know about the, the months and months and months of hard work, of blood, sweat and tears, of getting up early, of, of abstaining from certain foods, of discipline and so on, of difficulties, overcoming injuries, everything that's, that they've been through to be able to get to that moment, to get that promise. And it's the same in the Christian life very often. Only Christ knows what you're going through. Only God knows the difficulties that you're going through, the trials and tribulations very often. You speak to others, and you know, they'll show some sympathy, but obviously sometimes it's limited because they, just, they, don't, they don't get it. Only God knows what you're going through. But on that day, all the pain, all the blood, sweat and tears are going to fade into insignificance, friends. And he's saying, fix your hopefully on that. This is a man who was willing to be crucified upside down, rather than renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. Knew what he's talking about. But not only is it hope in deliverance from all trials, it's hope in the completed work of the Lord. It's knowing that God has started that good work in you 
And he will bring it to completion. When God starts a project, project for us, he finishes and completes that project and he completes it perfect. And he knows all the tools that he needs to make it happen. And everything you're going through, there'll be times where you feel as though it's abandoned the project. And are you really worth it? You know? And nothing makes sense. And you don't understand why you're going through it. And no one else can give any adequate, you know, answers. That's when we have to trust Him. We trust Him. We trust Him that He is a work in us. He will become the good work in us. will bring it to completion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says, Thomas Schreiner, the Bible commentator, it says, believers are to live in hope, even now, indicating that their greatest desire is for the consummation of the work that has begun in them. Lord, I believe, no matter what I'm going through, I believe you're going to complete that work in me. You're going to shape, you're going to mould me, I'm going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be like him. I'm going to reflect his glory. I fall short now, but one day it's going to happen. Hope on. Work in you is not yet complete. Fix your confidence upon the grace that is sure to be revealed when he comes again. Thirdly, thirdly, what do we need to do in verse 14? As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former losses as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. What we believe about God will be clearly revealed in the way that we live our life. Simple. Simple as. And you know, that's what I believe. Many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, you know, and the Lord will say to them, get away from me, you workers of iniquity, you who practice lawlessness. There are many who claim to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to you, to them, get away from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness, you who walk in rebellion, you who walk in sin, you who walk in uncleanness, we're called into holiness. And the way that we live our life will reveal what we believe about God. Ephesians 2 verse 3, Among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And so the Apostle Peter here, he says that we shouldn't, we shouldn't conduct ourselves in the way that we used to conduct ourselves. Yes? It says, as in your ignorance, you conducted yourselves, conforming yourselves to the former losses, to the way that you used to live before you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You lived independently of his will and his ways. You know, whatever your mind wanted you to do, even though you may know it was not right, even though you might think, oh, well, this isn't morally right, but everybody else is doing it. So I'll go with the flow. The Apostle Peter says, by the Holy Spirit, he says, don't conform yourselves to the way that you used to live. Don't live that way anymore. Don't live as slaves to sin and to death. 
Because now, as Julia has said already, you've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You've got a new master. You've got a new master, and that master is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, do not be conformed. Interesting words, the, the root word, it means the outward form that varies from year to year and from day to day. It's con continuously altering. So when we're conformed to that, that those former lusts, remember the chameleon we talked about recently. The chameleon can just change all of a sudden. Didn't you have a chameleon when you did your as a lizard or something? Yeah. The chameleon can change its colours depending on its surroundings, depending on how it's feeling. It's feeling, feeling threatened, it just blends in. It blends in. And we as Christians, there are so many Christians living as chameleons that conform to the former way of life. You know, when we're around others that are doing the same. And the Lord says, no, I've called you out to be different. I've called you to be different. I've called you to live holy lives. No pressure. But it says, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Tom Schreiner again, he said, the first calling of the church is to live a consecrated, devoted, and godly life. A consecrated, devoted, and godly life. Representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And we as the church, we need to we need to rediscover that, guys. We need to understand our responsibility to be representing the kingdom of heaven. We need to put this new life on display. Not just on a Sunday morning when we're gathered together and we're around like-minded believers, but when we're out in the world and people are watching and people are listening. And we've said so many times, people are tired of hypocrisy. People are tired of hypocrisy. You talk to some people and they talk about the church, and the first thing that comes to mind is full of hypocrites. Have we heard that one? Full of hypocrites. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that to bring condemnation, you know, upon anyone, but we, we as the church, we need to. We need to make sure that they're not right. That we're not living as hypocrites. That we're living the life. Be holy in all your conduct. You know, holiness is such a vast subject, isn't it? Whenever we're talking about holiness with respect to humans, with respect to us, we're talking about being different, we're talking about being separated, not being perfect. None of us are perfect. We know that. But God is at work in us. God is perfecting His work in us. Being holy, when it means being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Holiness, the measure of holiness in your life, is the measure of Christ's Character, the nature of Christ being revealed in you and through you. It's about much more than just separating yourself from certain behaviours and certain things. It's a complete lifestyle. Being holy is a lifestyle. Being holy is, is, is revealing Christ, the nature, the character of Christ. It's having the thoughts of Christ. It's having the feelings of Christ, the desires of Christ. It's conducting yourself as Christ would conduct himself. It's about mercy, you know, displaying the mercy. We used to wear those bands, what, what would Jesus do, right? Back in the 90s, what would Jesus do? Well, only go beyond that and say, how would Jesus live? How would Jesus live? 
And that's what he's called us into. We're not talking about legalism here, friends. And judging everybody else because we think, oh, they were unholier than him. Not at all. We're all at different parts and different stages in our walk. All of us fall short of God's glory, all of us. But the holiness we've been called into, the prayer, you know, I don't know about you, but like, you know, I say, Lord, I want to walk in holiness, true holiness. And I know that means that I've got to change. I know that means that, that Christ needs to be shaped and molded. I need to be conformed to the image of the Lord, conforming to the image of Christ. Yes, that's our pursuit, guys. That's what we're looking for. Why? Because He is holy. He is holy. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Just to read one more time, just for it to sink in. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, be alert. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, as it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Stay on course. Stay on course. Don't allow the storms of this life what focus your mind on reaching the goal. Focus your mind on reaching the goal. Secondly, trust in the promises of Christ that he will one day return for his bride. Thirdly, maintain your walk of obedience. Yes. Bit a simple instruction there from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter. Let's just bow our heads. more for the instruction of your word, Lord. Lord, and again, we know that it's not your will that we hear these words and leave this place and forget them. Lord, through the coming days that we will think about them, Lord, that we will begin to apply them to our own lives. Let them direct and shape our own prayers and our own conduct. Lord, let, let, let them inspire us, encourage us, and drive us on, Lord, to seek holiness, to be walking in holiness, Lord, in ever-increasing measure. Help us, Lord, with our own thoughts, Father, Lord, that we might have and know the mind of Christ. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you praise for the promises that, Lord Jesus, you will return. You are returned. We've seen all things fall into place to prepare for that great and glorious day of your return. Help us to focus, Lord, to fix our heart and our hope fully upon that grace that is to be revealed on that day. And we just pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Bless the Lord.